Thanks for joining for the Matchbox podcast. Before I start the episode, I just want to let you know that it is a telephone conversation with Henny LaRue. I couldn't get him in studio because we're in different cities. The telephone does break up once or twice, so just keep that in mind, but I'm sure you'll still get a lot out of the episode. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome to the Matchbox podcast. I am your host, Jacques Debrain, and my guest today is 1995 World Cup winning Springbok, Henny LaRue. Henny, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks, Jacques. Thanks for the invitation. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you. Um, and we can't do this in person because uh, I only learned actually quite recently that you've moved down to the Eastern Cape. <laughs> You're no longer in, in uh, Gauteng. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we still have property there, probably moving on from that and, and uh, heading down to the Eastern Cape where I can spend a little bit more time down on the coast and uh, uh, do a little bit more uh, game farming. Oh, wonderful. That sounds like something that I want to do. <laughs> All right. Um, well, today's um, episode, we're talking, uh, we're doing part two of what it means to be an elite uh, professional. And when I thought of this, I actually thought of you because uh, you're one of very few people that has risen to the top. Um, I'm sure that there are a lot of guys who want to play rugby, uh, want to play rugby professionally. Uh, there's very few that get to play for the Springboks and there's even a smaller percentage that actually get to play in a World Cup and actually win it. So you're of a very, very, very small percentage of, uh, of guys in South Africa that managed to uh, achieve that. And I guess my first question for you is, um, you know, how do you, how do you process all of that now, um, you know, all these years later that, that you actually managed to achieve this? Well, Jacques, you know, it's, it's really a, a contribution or a combination of a lot of different things and uh, probably more so, you know, right place, right time than anything else. Um, uh, you know, I didn't really ever see myself as, as uh, some unique uh, freak with huge capabilities in rugby. I was just dedicated and committed to a sport that I really loved yeah. uh, and, and played with a bunch of guys who were, were really talented, committed and uh, wanted to achieve the highest success. And I, I was privileged to have, have been part of that team. Amazing. And what, what actually drew you to be a sports person? I think my dad was very, you know, committed in, in his days towards sport and what sport does for human mind and body and so forth. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, he always encouraged me to play sport, rugby in particular. And I, you know, started at a very young age and, uh, my passion grew, uh, you know, during that time. And, uh, slowly as one does at school, you, you admire the, the parties that are, are going ahead of you and you, you dream. And, and these dreams sometimes become reality. And I was very, very fortunate that my dream did realize. Yeah, that's amazing. Because, because like I said, uh, a lot of a lot of us do dream, but very few of us actually get to achieve those dreams uh, sometimes. And that kind of leads me into the next question of having an elite mindset. 
Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things that come to mind and and, and one more than most is is just your absolute, you know, determination and your dedication and your commitment to want to achieve. Uh, You know, you must be able to sacrifice. In life today, I think a lot of people grow up a lot easier than than we did, you know, 45, 50 years ago. And, uh, you know, we... We had to do things a little differently. We got a clip along the ear, and uh, you know, we we had to you know do the basic chores and get on with things. Where yes. your your modern kid today, you know, has has quite a lot that gets given to them on a platter, and uh, it's it takes some doing to to take the step and understand the level of work, commitment, and and perseverance that you need to show. Yes. Um, to be able to achieve, you know, at the highest level. Uh, there's a lot of uh, ups and uh, believe me, a lot of downs. And then people remember the ups, but very few people are there with you when you are uh, experiencing the downs. And it's at that time that you that you need to pull yourself up at your bootstraps and, and get back into the, the ring and, and, and get on with it, you know. And uh, yeah. I don't think anyone really achieves uh, – success at the highest level without going through some really tough times where they have to do some soul searching and, um, and, and test themselves, uh, you know, to the, to the furthest extent. And I think if you've got and show that capability to want to persevere and pull through, um, and, and, and be unique, be different, do things in a manner that no one else, uh, wants to train harder than anyone else. Uh, you know, you need to look for those unique things you from, from the rest. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of obstacles, you, you, you mentioned uh, the lows and um, yeah, a lot of uh, individuals who want to achieve uh, in the elite space, being an elite professional, um, sometimes battle with those lows. Um, what are some obstacles that you faced uh, along the way to, to um, you know, reaching the top level? Sure. Yeah. Look, I mean, before I started playing professional or, or at, at a high level, let's call it a provincial level. I was mm. uh, originally out of uh, out of the Eastern Cape, Port Elizabeth. Um, you know, I had experienced two injuries which kept me out for nearly two years. The one sure. was a, a ligament that I had torn, and that you know, in the old days, they still put you in plaster of Paris for three months. <laughs> And your leg comes out and it's because you can't. I'm sure so, that's quite itchy. <laughs> and all sorts of things. Uh, things have moved on, fortunately, and, and people can recover a lot quicker. Yeah. But it, that nearly took me a year. And, um, you know, I had another incident where someone fell with their knees in, into my back and oh. I laugh, you know, lost half the use of my glute muscle. Oh, no. Which uh, which constantly you know bothered me uh, during my professional career, but I was very for- fortunate in that I sought someone who, who was very dear to me, and uh, uh, he he was able to um, through through um, kinesiology yeah. uh, enable me to to continue playing the sport that I loved so much. So um, having 
undergone those, you know, injuries, and, and those are just a few, were, were major, and they kept me out for, for like I said, nearly two years. Mm. And then uh, I was very fortunate to to make it into the junior Springbok side out of out of um, Eastern Province, and uh, I think we won the only cup at that stage for Eastern Province and that was the Yardley Gold I think it was a night series Wow! and uh, yeah and then you know I got invited to to join uh, the then Transvaal side and uh, the rest really was history what a what a privilege and uh, you know to, to mix with with a, a bunch of dedicated committed guys like that I think Harry Fulhoun was still the coach mm. at the time and he was very motivated and uh, we had a lot of talent, talented players at the time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose being surrounded by other uh, elites or professionals does also inspire you and it lifts your game, right? Absolutely. You know, you have a, have a commitment towards them as well. That they are trying to achieve and you lifting everyone's expectations and as you start achieving, you believe in yourself more and more, you become more motivated mm. and uh, your expectations of the people around you grow. And, and, and that's what drives, uh, you know, the increasing desire for success and achievement. And then you refine your skills and refine your skills and, and so forth. Uh, you know, some people, you know, are comfortable to remain in a particular zone. Mm. Um, your professional people differentiate themselves by saying, yeah. you know, being mediocre is not good enough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now the, the importance of, of mental toughness. So you're in a big stadium you're in a World Cup final. You're walking out against the All Blacks, who are the favourites, and they have this big guy called Jonah Lomu, who uh, <laughs> most people in the tournament have have uh, battled to tackle, and you now have to face them and beat them. Uh, mentally, what does it take to rise to the occasion? Well, for one, one is preparation. So, so num number one is you have to be at, at the top of your game. You need to have confidence that whatever you're involved in and going to do, you've got a chance of success and you've got to be able to believe in yourself. Mm. You know, we after having watched uh, Jonah Lomo run through England a couple of times, yes. Uh, in, in the match on the Saturday, uh, you know, we got together and we we worked out a defensive plan on how to to, to nullify Jonah Lomo's strengths. And mm. um, I, I believe, you know, that system of, of, of defense has been used ever since it's uh, so it, it's it's really something where you 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 place the outside backs uh, coming in on 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 defense and your inside backs going out and for him in particular uh, with his long reach and his momentum his size uh, it, it, we had to force him in, and every time you know he, he yes. sidestepped, basically he lost speed, and he could never make use of his long handoff, which which made him quite unique. Uh, so so we rendered him a little less effective <laughs> by by cutting down his outside space. Yeah, that's um, that's that's incredible when you think when you when you hear it from the inside, because from the outside, as a ten year old boy at the time. 
you know, just looked like these heroes standing up to this to this uh, you know legend of a rugby player and uh, and and nullifying him. So it's uh, it's it's great to hear the the other perspective on that. Um, so so let's talk about no. um, th- just getting back to that 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 mental toughness. Um, how have you? You, you've you've gone to the top level in rugby and, and now you're a businessman and, you know, you, you have a life outside of that. How have you taken what you've learned from your professional rugby era into your uh, professional business uh, that you run? Yeah, you got, again, you've got, you got to be committed to the cause. You've got to be dedicated and you must be willing to spend extra hours and, and, and to try and achieve what you want to achieve, regardless of whether it is sport or or, or work. Mm. There, there's a desire to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. You need to identify those. You need to bring people around you where in, in particular areas where you are weak, you need to recognize them and you need to ensure they are aligned to, to what you want to achieve. And, and you've got to work on your strengths and uh, try and ensure that, that you build on those strengths mm. to draw momentum to, to reach the targets that you set for yourself. But it's a lot of dedication and commitment and time. And you, you have to, you have to put put that effort in. Um, we, we, I was talking about this on a previous episode uh, about the uh, pr- professional corporate space in in businesses, and that um, the it it doesn't seem that people are often very comfortable with with pushing themselves to their limits. You know, uh, because we want to be comfortable as human beings. We don't like being in uncomfortable positions, but. In order to achieve the top and be an elite professional, we have to put ourselves in uncomfortable positions and push ourselves beyond what we think we can achieve, right? Absolutely. There's no achieving at a great level without that. It's, mm. it's, it's a prerequisite in a sense. If you, if, you, if you don't have that ability to push yourself, um, you, you, you are not, you know, you're, you won't be making it in in the top percentile of of whatever it is that uh, that you're hoping to do yeah. and that's differentiating yourselves we all get comfortable and it's it's you're willing to be in that you know when you're doing sprints and you're doing fitness and yeah. your chest is burning and uh, you know it's uncomfortable that's when you grow and likewise Absolutely. from a business point of view yeah. you've got to place yourself out there and challenge yourself the whole time if you're not challenging yourself of wanting to renew uh, you you you're failing yourself you you're not testing yourself and i think that that comfort zone is 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 the problem area for most of the people who are quite happy to be mediocre Mm. Uh, for for the people who want to to excel and achieve you have to find the uncomfortable area because that starts differentiating yourself from from the others where Mm. no one wants to be yeah, absolutely. And I find that even with myself, uh, in business, uh, sometimes when I go to gym, it's uncomfortable, but you realize that it's in those moments, you're reckoning with yourself and you're telling yourself, if I, if I push myself that little bit harder, obviously not to the point of, uh, of no return, <laughs> we also don't want to get to that point, but, um, it, but that's when you grow. That's when you look at yourself in the mirror and go, am I up for this or not? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you know, you can have a certain level of 
fitness, but mm. your fitness will remain at that level again unless you you willing to extend and push yourself. Yeah. You know, is it is it comfortable to go and stand in front of sixty five thousand people and put the ball down and want to kick to posts? No, it's uh, it's not. But you know, someone's got to do it, and if you equipped and if you confident and capable, well then you know you start realizing and you become confident in your in your own capability and these things become a natural uh, a natural process yes. uh, so that again differentiates uh, uh, someone who's able to kick under pressure and, and, and stress conditions to to someone who who, who doesn't want to uh, want that attention or, or pressure so and that's what makes rugby unique is that those aspects whether it be tight end prop or eighth man or fullback or half you know that you the, that you extend your capability within those specialized areas which which enable you to be unique and be of value to a team yes. and and that's what makes makes that uh, position unique or and makes you exceptional Amazing. Uh, that's that, that's such a great explanation of it. And I mean, we only see it on TV or in the stands, but to actually be on the field, placing the ball, kicking it when there's 65,000 people watching you and uh, millions more on TV must be an absolutely daunting task. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that with uh, with us. Um, another, just one of the last questions I have is um, in 1995 in the World Cup, I believe rugby was still... Uh, at an unprofessional or, or amateur level, correct? I think it only went professional later that year. So as you're building up to your Springbok career and, and that uh, World Cup final, um, the players in the team were, they weren't um, necessarily being paid for their efforts, correct? It was more of an amateur um, voluntary setup. Yes, it was all amateur until '95. Um, we we got paid money to get us petrol to the stadium and for a beer or cooling after that. Uh, you know, after '95, the game and, and that uh, win in '95 is really what what changed rugby around the world. Mm. Uh, you know, Packer came along and and he had negotiated contracts and and then it became sure. a struggle between Packer and Murdoch as to who who was going to get the rights to to the top players and, and we were embroiled in that right from the start sure. uh, the outcome of that obviously was a was a little bit of attempted exploitation of the players and mm. uh, we and that's why you know I decided to start the the rugby players association and okay. and I think that served the players well in in those initial days amazing yeah so so getting back to that to that amateur setup is that um, it's it's one thing to be motivated when it's your when it's your full time job, right? Like you're being paid full time to to participate in the sport and give it your all. But when when you're volunteering, essentially, to to also then uh, you know have this elite mindset um, in an amateur setting, and, and and I use the word amateur very lightly. I know it was an amateur uh, in in an amateur sense, um, but that makes it all that more special to know that. You were essentially volunteering and still um, carrying yourself professionally. And I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, look, and you know, you look at, at 
but the amount of time and effort uh, the professional guys are putting in now, mm. you know, that's a full-time job. And, and, and so it should be at, at those type of salaries. Yeah. We were holding down our jobs and playing, but, you know, that was that, that was the standard uh, yeah. during those times. So we probably ended up playing, you know, 30 minutes uh, in an 80-minute game to give us some rest time, they're probably doing double. Uh, they're probably doing 40 minutes now. They probably yeah. increased their game time by 25 percent. Yes. You know, just to change the law, the game becoming more professional and more efficient and effective. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's constant drive to try and make the game, uh, you know, more attractive to to the um, supporters as well. Amazing. Well, Henny, I'm going to wrap up with one more question for you, um, and that is, who's going to win the 2023 World Cup? Well, look, you know, South Africa seems to front up for World Cups, and they always are deemed to be the underdogs, which is a good thing for us in most cases, because I think that's where South Africa likes to play from. Yeah. And uh, look, there are a lot of quality sides. You know, Ireland are, are, are always in good form these last couple of years. France looked like a, uh, an immense side uh, and building yeah. towards a, a really, really good side. Um, yeah, I mean, the All Blacks will always be in for contention, have mm. have an absolute dedication and commitment to the game. South Africa will be in there. Um, and, uh, you know, those will always kind of be your, your front runners. England uh, might be able to pull something back, but they're in a little bit of a turmoil at the moment. Yeah. That's a chance in, in in 95 and and that's sometimes when you lesser sides rely on the the let's call it chutzpah and drive and, and mm. uh, uh, commitment of of the individuals in a team to to and their hunger to try and achieve that success okay well thank you for that um i suppose we'll know in a few months time what the outcome is <laughs> i'll send you a message if we win <laughs> <laughs> No, super. You won't need to send me a message. I'm sure I'll be watching. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, Henny, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And have yourself a Absolute fantastic pleasure, day. Sean. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks a lot. Keep well there, man. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Uh, apologies for the lack of connectivity every now and again, but I'm sure you enjoyed that conversation with Henny LaRue. And uh, please drop any comments on the, the comment section on Buzzsprout as well as on any social media platforms.